Matthew's Gospel then, chapter 20. I draw your attention to the verse 22. Jesus answered and said, Ye know not what ye ask. Are ye able to drink the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They say unto him, We are able. My subject tonight is only he is able. Only he is able. The mother of John and James here make a very bold request. They say to the Lord Jesus, grant that these my two sons, John and James, grant that they may sit the one on thy right hand, the other on thy left in thy kingdom. And not only does she make that request for them, it is clear also that both James and John are complacent in that request. They wish her to make that request. They back her in that request. They stand beside her in the very matter. And whenever the Lord speaks in answer to that request, he speaks to them, to James and to John, are you able? And they say, we are able. And whenever Mark, he he records the same story, and in his account of it, he tells us that James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came unto him, desiring, Master, we would that thou shouldst do for us whatsoever we shall desire. So they most definitely were asking the question, as well as their mother asking it on their behalf. And to the petition, the Lord says two things. The first thing he says is, you just don't know what you ask. He says there in verse 21, ye know not what you ask. You have no idea what that request means. You you have no idea what's involved in the answer to it. And you don't know what's expected of your sons in order to that. You don't even know what you're asking. And that's true, they didn't. But not only does he tell them they don't know what he's asking, the second thing is he asks them a question. And the question is in verse 22, are you able, John and James, are you able to drink the cup that I drink of? And are you able to be baptized with the baptism that is upon me, that I'm baptized with? Are you able? Are you able? What is in actual fact saying? Are you able to suffer like I'm going to suffer? Are you able to drink the cup of divine wrath that I'm going to take out of my Father's hand and drink? Are you able to do that, John and James? Really? Can you do it? Are you able to atone for the sins of the whole world? Are you able to receive that baptism of divine wrath will answer, which will answer for the sins of my people? Are you able, John and James, for that? And the most amazing thing of all is that they so foolishly say, we are. We are able. We're able to take that cup. We're able to drink that cup. 
We're able to have the very baptism that you have, Master. We're able. What a foolish thing to say. We're able. They should not have said that. That was pride and self-trust. That was dependence upon their own ability. They should have said, humbly, no, Lord, we're not able. We're not able. They should have bowed their head and turned away in shame and said, Lord, we're not able. But instead, they put their chest out and they lift up their head. And with all the ten of the other apostles around them, they say, we, we are such arrogance. Is that how a Christian should talk? We are able. Is that how the Lord expects us to speak? We are able. The truth is, none of us are able. The truth is we're weak and feeble and dependent upon the Lord. And the truth is every time we have to say when the Lord asks us, are you able? Every time he asks us, are we able? For whatever he asks us to be able about, every time he asks us, we have to say, Lord, I'm not able. I'm not able. Isn't that how Moses spoke? That's why there was nobody like him. He was gifted. He had God with him. He was a mighty man of God. But one day he come before the Lord. And the Lord had made him the, the master in Israel. The Lord had made him the guide and the guardian of the flock out of Egypt. The Lord had made him the leader. But what did that man do? Did he come before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm able. I'm able to do this. No, no, he didn't. You know what he said? He said, Lord, I'm not able. I'm not able to burn all of this people alone because it's too heavy for me. I'm not able to carry them. I'm not able to bear the burden of it all. That's how a man of God speaks. And that's how James and John should have spoken. I'm not able. I'm not able. Do you remember how the, the spies came back? And there were two that gave a good report. And there were ten that gave a bad report. But in the bad report, the men said something that was very true. They said, we be not able to go up and to drive them out because they're stronger than us. You know, what they said wasn't, wasn't a lie, it wasn't false, it was true. The Lord didn't condemn them for saying it. We're not able they're stronger than us. It was true. But what they were condemned for was for their unbelief. They were not able. They spoke the truth, but they should have added in the same vo vo voice as the other two did. But God's able. He's able to deliver us and to bring us through. But we always say, we're not able. We're not able. You remember whenever David was going to go out against uh, Goliath 
and how he had an interview with King Saul before he went out against Goliath. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go up against that Philistine to fight him because you're just a young fella and he's a warrior from his youth, a mighty warrior, and you're not able to go up against him, David. It was true, and David would acknowledge it, but he didn't go up against him in his own strength, in his own name. He said, I go up against him in the name of the Lord, in the ability of God. And so, yes, we never, we never say, brethren and sisters, we're able. We never talk like that. We always talk humbly. We're not able. But in the same breath, we say, we have one who is able the Lord. So there's only one who is able. You remember Paul said about his ministry, he was thinking about his ministry, and especially in the context he preaches and some people are condemned and they die and they perish and they're hardened by the gospel and others they're quickened and made alive and delivered by the gospel. And he says, who's sufficient for these things? Who's able for a ministry that condemns men on the one hand and on the other hand delivers men? Who's able to carry out that ministry? Who's sufficient? And, and he, he's saying, I'm not able. And in the, in the few verses after, he says, for we are not sufficient of ourselves. We're not able of ourselves. That's the thing. But our sufficiency is of God. So while in the one hand he freely admits, I'm not able, I'm not sufficient. In the very same breath, with faith he says, but God gives us the sufficiency. And he has made us able ministers of the gospel. We're able ministers of the gospel, he says, but it's not of ourselves. The sufficient one has made us able. That's how to speak. We're not able, but the Lord makes us able. Brethren and sisters, we can never speak of our self-ability. We can only speak of our dependence upon Jesus Christ. Remember how the Lord taught us? He says, the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. It has an ability. It can't do it. He says, you have to abide in me. Without me, you can do nothing. And so we, we never proudly and self-confidently say we're able. We're able to pray publicly. We're able to preach. We're able to do evangelism. We're able to do this. We're able to do that. No, you're not. Only he is able. And so my subject tonight is not our inability or even our ability. There is latent in the text by implication the truth that I want to handle 
it is his ability. Because it's implied here. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? That I have the ability to drink? That I will drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism that I already have received? That is already upon me? That I am bearing and carrying now the sins of the world? I am able. I am able to drink that cup. I am able to have that baptism, to bear that baptism, to carry that baptism of awful suffering. I am able. But you're not. And that's why I'm here, Jesus Christ says. Because I'm the only one who is able. And I'm here to bear that baptism and to drink that cup because in actual fact, you're not able. And so the truth of the passage is only Christ is able. A good exposition of it is that text in Hebrews, who by himself bear our sins on the tree. And so it is his ability I speak of this evening. And I draw your attention to several texts that point this out in the Scriptures. The first that I draw your attention to is Hebrews chapter 7 and the verse 25. Only he is able to save. Because Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 says, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever lives to make intercession for them. The reference, of course, is to the Lord Jesus Christ, to the Son of God, who the apostle in the epistle to the Hebrews has been so exalting and so highlighting. The Son of God is the only one who's able to save He's the only one who is able to bring us to God. The apostle is speaking about him as the mediator, and he is telling us he's mighty to save. We're not able to save ourselves, men and women. We are not able to reconcile ourselves to God. You see, that's what the ungodly think. How are you going to get right with God? How are you going to be right with God? We're able. We're able to affect it by our works. We're able to affect it by living a life that's pleasing to Him. We're able to come unto Him by our works and abilities. But the child of God has been taught by the Holy Spirit, and the child of God knows He's, he's not able. He's not able to reconcile himself to God. He's not able to make himself pleasing to God. He's not able to propitiate God's wrath against his sins. But he knows the one who is able to save him, able to bring him to God, able not only to save him from his sins, but to save him to the uttermost 
And that one is Jesus Christ. And he is able because he is the ever-living one. He is the one who has conquered death. He is the one who has destroyed him, who has the power of death. He is the one who has ascended to the right hand of God and is very much alive at the Father's right hand, mediating on our behalf. He has ability as a mediator. He has power as a redeemer and savior, and he's able to save everyone who's come to God through him. And that's what you have to do, sinner. You've come to God through Christ alone. You're not able. And the sinner has to get out of this mood of thinking, we're able. We're able to make ourselves right with God by our works. You're not. You need an able Savior. You need an able mediator. And that one is Jesus Christ. So there is on the one hand our inability, but on the other hand, the powerful ability of Jesus Christ. Men and women, it's not a creed you need. It's not a profession you need. It's not even a prayer you need. It's a living, able Savior that you need. Jesus Christ. And you have to have an encounter with him. A personal encounter with the able one. The one who alone is able to save you. And you must believe in him and trust in him. It's not enough to say, oh, we're not able. We're not able to come to God. We're not able to make ourselves right with God. Yes, it's good if you learn that. But that's not faith. That's all the ten spies had. Oh, we're not able to go in. We're not able to get the land. We're not able to get the promises. But that's not faith. It has to go beyond that. And it has to trust in Christ. Who can bring you in? That's faith. And so you have to believe in the able one. And this ability is his alone. And so trust in Christ, sinner. And also keep praying for your loved ones, saints of God. Yes, we're not able. We're not able to save them. We're not able to disturb them. We're not able to create an anxious thought in them. We're just not able to do it. And it's true. And keep on telling the Lord about it. But also in the same breath, remember, Lord, you're able You're able to save them. You're the only one who's able to do it. And while we endeavor their salvation and pray for their souls, we know that only you can accomplish it. And so keep on trusting in Christ to save sinners and to save your your loved ones, their souls. And the salvation that he gives us is an uttermost salvation It's the kind of salvation that his name tells us about. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. That's the uttermost salvation. To be saved from your sins, 
to be saved from the very presence of them, which he will effect and accomplish in that last day. Only he gives us that uttermost salvation. You're not able to save yourself from your sins. Well, he is able. An uttermost salvation. For he has uttermost ability. Not only is he able to save, the only one able to save, but he's able to succor. Because we read in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18, the very same epistle, Hebrews 2, verse 18, in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Again, the references to our dear Lord Jesus Christ. The word to succor means to relieve or to help to provide aid and comfort. It implies that one is in a state of distress, and one who is tried is in a state of distress. Like Abraham, when he was tested and tried to sacrifice his son, he must have been in a state of distress. It's a terrible trial to his soul, and in trials we need help, we need aid, we need support, we need succor. And who is able to give it to us? Do you expect the minister to do it? Is the minister able to succor you in your trials? He has even no idea what half your trials are in life. He's not able to succor you. He makes some stab at it in the expounding of God's Word. But beyond that, he cannot go. He's powerless. And every minister of God needs to get rid of his arrogance and his ignorance and think, stop thinking he's a great counselor and he's a great successful personal worker. And every minister of God needs to get before God and say, Lord, I'm not able. I'm not able to feed them. I'm not able to succor them. I'm not able to help them at all. That's the way the minister of God should talk and get away from this arrogant professionalism whereby he thinks he has all the answers and nearly delights to engage on a one-to-one with the needy that he may manifest and exercise his abilities. That's not what the ministry's about. And that's not the minister God uses who's full of himself. We're not able. We're not able to edify your soul. We're not able to help you in your trials and in your warfare against the devil. And it's not my job to stand up here every week and say, I'm able to do this and I can help you. It's my job to tell you about the one who does. It's my job to tell you he is able to succor you who are tested and tried and tempted and in the warfare against Satan. That's my job to do that. And that's what I'm doing tonight. I'm not able But there's one who is able, able to succor you, able to help you, able to give you that aid in your distress. This is a very interesting word, this word succor. I'd like to go through the New Testament with you in regard to it, but the time is nearly gone already and I'm not able to do that. I will give you one illustration of it. You remember the woman of Canaan? how she was distressed for her daughter. My daughter's grievously vexed with the devil. 
Now, I've come from afar. I've come from Canaan. I've come from into the land here among the Jews. I'm a Gentile dog, but I'm tried, Lord. And I have a problem and a burdens and I'm heavy hearted because my daughter's grievously vexed and attacked by Satan. And she came to the Lord. And she said, Lord, help me. And that word help is the same word. He's able to succor. He's able to help them that are tried. And she comes along and says, just Lord, Lord, succor me. Give me the assistance that I require that I have found nowhere else. Succor me. Help me. And he's able, and he did succor her, and he did help her, and he set her daughter free because he's able to succor And he's able to help you and to succor you, child of God, in your trials. And you have burdens too. Maybe you're burdened for a daughter or for a son, an unconverted child, one who's gone off, one who's kept captive by the devil at the devil's will, and you're so heavy and burdened and broken about it, and no one gives you the succor that you require. No one's able to. But he is able only he is able to succor the tried. Look to him then. Look to him to save you. Only he is able to save you. Look to him to succor you. Only he is able to succor you. But also he's able to support. Jude, verse 24, Now unto him that is able... Here it is again. Are you able? Unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory. Again, here's the Lord Jesus. You see, the Christian life is a battle. It's a struggle. And our danger is the danger of falling. How many have fallen How many have fallen from the way? How many have fallen from their steadfastness? How many have fallen into sin? We are so weak. We are so prone to wonder. We're like lost sheep. And we go astray so easily. And when we go astray, we fall. You know, a sheep who goes astray normally ends up in a a ditch or a pit or falls into something, some kind of snare, some kind of wild beast, a strange sheep has a fall at the end of his journey of some kind. And brethren and sisters, let him who thinketh he standeth. Are you able to stand? Yes, we are able to stand. Are you able, the Lord Jesus says to you, are you able to stand? Yes, we're able. Let him who thinks he's able to stand Take heed, lest he fall. You're not able to stand. Let me tell you what you are able to do. You're able to fall. That's all you're able to do. That's all we have the ability to do in ourselves. Just the ability to fall. To fall into snares. To fall into many foolish and hurtful lusts 
which the Bible talks about, to fall from our own steadfastness. That's what we have the ability to do. And we don't have the ability to stand. And we certainly don't have the ability to keep ourselves from falling. But we don't despair because we commit ourselves unto him who is able to keep you from falling. That's who I'm talking about tonight. And so we must never think we can stand in our own strength. Only one is able to keep us. There's another thing that makes us fall. It's fainting. Fainting leads to falling. We get weary in the Christian conflict. We faint through spiritual weakness. We fall in prayer. We fall in our Bible study. We fall in our church attendance. We fall away from the prayer meeting. All the time this is happening to us. All the time we are in a state of falling. And which is why we must continually look to him who only is able to keep us from falling. The Lord Jesus Christ. Only he is able. Only he can support us. Only he can succor us. Only he can save us. He is also able to subdue. Philippians chapter 3, verse 21. Who shall change our vile body? This is the Lord Jesus. This is what he can do. He shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able. There it is again. He is able to subdue all things unto himself. He's able to do that. We're we're told in that verse about the Lord's power. It's resurrection power. It's that mighty ability to raise the dead. He had it. He didn't only raise the dead. He raised himself. He had ability to raise himself and give himself a glorious resurrection body. And that same ability he shall exercise on us at the last day when he raises us from the dead. People say, the, the resurrection of the dead is impossible. It couldn't happen. There's no resurrection. can't believe that. He's able. That's why there'll be a resurrection. He's able to subdue death and deterioration and decay and decomposition. He's able to subdue all of that and has done so and will do so again. But it doesn't only say he subdues death and decomposition. It says he is able to subdue all things onto himself. He's a mighty savior. We are not able. What can we subdue? We can't even subdue our lusts. We can't even subdue our strange thoughts. We can't even subdue ourselves to get into the closet and spend an hour in prayer before God. That's the amount of our ability. We can subdue nothing in ourselves, but He is able to subdue all things. He's able to subdue sin. He's able to subdue our lusts. He's able to subdue our spiritual foes. He's able to subdue our sicknesses even and our diseases if it be His will 
now on earth, but certainly at the end of time, in the new heavens and in the new earth, he shall subdue all of those things. Because he's able to do it. And he's only able to do it. And he's given many manifestations and demonstrations of it in the miracles that he wrought among men. Able to subdue. And he'll subdue the, our enemies. He'll subdue Antichrist. He'll subdue this wicked world. He'll subdue all the parliaments that bring in all their unlawful, unrighteous decrees. And he'll make everything his footstool because he's able to subdue all things. Then he's able to secure. We sung a hymn tonight that reminded us of that 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, for which cause I suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. I know whom I have believed. I'm not unbelieving. I'm persuaded. What are you persuaded of, Paul? I am persuaded, he tells us, that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Paul is here speaking about his commitment to the Lord. What has he committed to the Lord? Everything. He's committed his life. He's committed his body. He's committed his soul. He's committed himself. He's committed his character. He's committed his work. I've committed it all to him. And I'm persuaded that he's able to keep it. Able to secure it. I'm not. I can't keep my life. A little virus comes. I have a wee bug. I get a flu. I'm near dead. I can't keep it. I can't preserve my life. I hand it over to him to keep it. And my soul, I certainly can't keep my soul. I'm not carrying my soul as if I can keep it. I, I can't keep it. I, I commit it to him, Paul says. And the work, can you keep the work, Paul? At least you can keep the work. You're a minister of the gospel. Can you not keep the work? No, I can't keep the work. I commit it to him to keep. He's able to keep. I'm not able to keep. I can't keep you. I can't keep this flock. You look into the minister to keep this flock nice and united and harmonious and all happy. You look into the minister to do that. Do you think I can run around like a headless chicken and accomplish that? It's not my job to do that, but it's my job to commit it to him who is able to do it. That's our job. And I commit it to him. I commit you to him. As I commit myself to him, as Paul does, I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him against that day. Paul knows he can keep nothing. But he knows he can just hand it over to his dear Lord. And he's resting in peace because he has the persuasion that as the Lord pleaseth, he keeps it. He knows the one who is able, and he believes in him and trusts in him. 
very quickly. One other. He is able to supply. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Now the context we haven't time to go into, but the context is giving. Paul is encouraging giving to God's work. He says, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly, but he who sows who gives bountifully will reap bountifully. Every man according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, he says. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. So it's in the context of giving that he says all of this. And he says, well, let me put it this. If we give, are we going to lose? You know, there are some people that hold on to money as if it's everything. It's not everything. Money's not all you need. You need far more than money to abound in God's work. Money's the least of what we need in this house. The Lord gives us what we need financially, but it's the least of what we need. We need far more than money. And it shouldn't be all about money. And so if we give, we're going to be losers. And Paul says, not with God. He loves a cheerful giver. And then he says, in the very next breath, God is able to make all grace to abound towards you. We don't need money, we need grace. That's what we need more than anything. Grace. Abounding grace. Overflowing grace. All sufficient grace so that we can abound in the work. That's what Paul says. You know, there's some people preach, it's money. If I have money, we'll abound in the work. If I have money, we'll be flourishing. We'll be jumping and we'll be leaping and we'll be successful. Paul says no such thing. He says don't get fixed up about money. Just give willingly. But what you need is grace. Money is the least of it. What does Paul say we need? Well, let me highlight the words in the verse. We need all sufficiency. All sufficiency. Not partial sufficiency. All sufficiency. God's work is so difficult. The devil is so mad and so powerful. We need all sufficiency. We need all grace. That's how he describes it. All sufficiency, all grace. Not some grace, not partial grace. We need all grace. The grace to endure, the grace to continue, the grace to pray, the grace to forgive one another, the grace to be inoffensive to our brethren and our sisters, the grace to be faithful. We need all grace. What has money to do with that? You can have millions in the bank as a church and not have the grace to forgive your brother, and not have the grace to not offend him, and not have the grace to love him and care for him and to pray for him. We need grace. We can keep the grace. We can save the grace. We can bank the grace. But you see the money? Give it out. It's the least of what we need. We need him who's able to 
to make all grace abound towards us. What's another word he uses? Always. That ye always having all sufficiency. We don't need all sufficient grace. Not again. We need it always. We need it when we're coming into the meetings. We need it when we're in the meetings. We need it when we go out the meetings. We need it when we go home from the meetings. We need it in the workplace when we're away from the meetings. Always. Always we're needing grace. And then he says, in all things, and this is a mighty verse, in all things we need it. And we need it in order to abound in every good work. Where do we get that supply? God is able to make it. That's what the text says. Brethren and sisters, you can't do it in your own strength. Our ability for this work and service is of God alone. So we keep looking to Him. We keep trusting in Him. We keep coming to Him. We keep saying, Lord, we're not able, but we know that in all these areas you are able. So be persuaded, brethren and sisters, of your inability. Be persuaded of your need of the Lord and look to Him endlessly not only to save you, but to succor you, to support you, to subdue for us all things and to secure us and supply us that we may work the works of him who has called us to do so and that we may please him in every good work. Are we able? The Lord says to us tonight, are you able? No. But you are, Lord. Like the daughter of Canaan. Lord, help me. Help me. Let us pray then.